Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order, grace and then peace. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. That's, that's powerful. Followers of us, notice there's three of them, but and the Lord. You became followers of us, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. Not one word in the Bible is idle. Every word is important. Every place. Whew, this is a good church right here. It says, your faith towards God has always gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 10 verses, 11 verses, 10 verses mainly. You just read a chapter in the Bible today. So when you put your head down on a pillow tonight, you can say, I read a chapter in the Bible. Check, right, right? Today we're going to talk about each verse, verse by verse. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you from a subject of a community like none other. A community of people, of believers like none other. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name in all God's people said. Amen. Give your neighbor a high five, and you may be seated. If you don't have a neighbor, give an air five. Again, if they're wearing a 49ers jersey or a Rams jersey or t-shirt, don't pay any attention to them. They don't matter here today. We are praying for their salvation. All right, so we're going <laughs> to, I can't help it. We're going to answer four questions today. Okay, I kind of do this in every single message that we do, but especially as we go into this series for the next eight weeks, we're going to be taking a look at this book, 1 Thessalonians. I want to encourage you to read it, to get ahead, and every single week you have my promise that we are going to go down through it verse by verse. But the four questions that we're going to answer every single week, which is the framework for the message today, are simply this. Number one is what is it that we're talking about? We're going to define what that is. Secondly, why should it matter to us? If we're going to read God's word, we can ask the question, why should this matter to us? So as we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, that's what we're talking about. 
But as people and as believers and as Christians, or maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you're not a Christian yet, I think you should always be asking the question, what is it that I'm going to get out of this thing? So what are we talking about? Why should it matter to us? And of course, as you know, what do I need to know about it? And then lastly, what do I need to do about it? Those are our four questions that we'll just begin to go through. So today we're tackling the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And over the next eight weeks, we'll walk through it verse by verse. Now today we're going to focus on those 10 verses that we just read and why they should be important to us. But then we're going to talk about how we need to apply it. So let me answer the question of, of why this should matter to us in a series. Okay, Why would we as a church, not only here, but out of all of our campuses, take the next eight weeks to walk through a book of the Bible? I think that's a great question. And also, too, I think your level of involvement, not only on Sundays, but even as you go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I know we don't like to think about Monday, but it's coming, is what do we do with this book? What is it trying to say to us, and what is it encouraging us to do? So this is why this series, and especially this message today, should matter to us. First and foremost is because we need to know our Bibles, now, listen to me. I say this very respectfully. There are a lot of people who know of the Bible, but they don't know their Bible. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, not just in last name, but even in definition of the Bible, it is one of my goals to help you and I understand the Bible in a way that we get it and so that we can apply it. So the word is living and it's active in our lives. The problem is, is a lot of believers all across the world know of the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. And furthermore, they don't know how to actually study the Bible. Now, let me just say this very carefully because you guys have already gotten very quiet on me, okay? You at some point have to go from a scripture a day, a chapter a day, a devotion a day, eventually to a place where you begin to actually study the Bible, that's how I thought that was going to go over. Because the main thing right there is, is how do I do that? Which is the really cool part of this series. For eight weeks, I'm going to show you how you can go verse by verse by verse in the Bible and actually study the Bible. And the reason that is so important is, is because for God to increase your love for his word, it takes work on your part. You have to say that I don't want to just have this book in my car, in my house. I actually want to have this in my heart. And I hate to break it to you. If the only time you're getting this book right here is when you're listening to me, number one, I talk way too fast. Number two, I have way too many squirrel moments. And number three, I talk way too much football. Amen. <laughs> just quiet that down just a little bit, sir. You know what I mean? Like you have to know how to do this thing. So the reason we're doing this is because I want to show you what it looks like to actually be a person who reads your Bible. Think about this. We read a full chapter in the Bible in under three minutes. Anybody can do that any day. So what if you took the three minutes to read a chapter or maybe a little bit longer, especially when you have to slow down in books like Leviticus and stuff. And what if you just took five to 10 minutes to read a chapter? And then what if you had a system in place to help you understand what is actually going on? So we're gonna help you guys do that. Look at the words on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is an interesting verse. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things. One, doctrine. Say doctrine. For reproof. Say reproof. For correction. Say correction. For instruction. Say instruction. 
Okay, so you guys were really quiet on that one, okay? Must be a 49er fan. Listen, all scripture is given for those four things. Now remember, my goal is to not make this series feel like a classroom. Because <laughs> I say classroom and some of you guys break out in hives. You're like, I ain't going back to school. I ain't going to do it. All scripture, everyone say all, is given for four reasons. That's what is being said right here. Let's look at it. It's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. What does that mean? Very simply, doctrine shows me what's right. The Bible is the only thing that we gauge what is right versus what is wrong. It is not your political opinion. It is not your personal opinion. It is not the opinion of the person that you admire the most who you think is smart. The only way that you can gauge right and wrong in this world is God's word. If you can't stand on God's word for right and wrong, you will always be confused. You will always sway. Like the Bible says, you will have itching ears. In other words, if it sounds good, must be right. Has that ever gotten anybody into any trouble? Okay, so doctrine. By the way, before this year is done, we're gonna be actually walking 9 a.m. Sunday morning classes to help you guys understand doctrine. It's gonna be a really good one. Make sure you sign up. Doctrine. The next one is reproof. What's reproof mean? It shows me what's not right. So when I read God's word, it says this is right, now this is wrong. Correction shows me how to get right. We don't normally like that one, do we? No? Listen, if you won't make any noise, just do this or this, all right? I gotta get you interactive today because this is a teaching series, so I'm gonna be way up here with my energy and I might have something to do with the rock stars. Anyways, moving on. Shows me how to get right. And then lastly, instruction. It shows me how to stay right. So what if, this is gonna sound crazy, I saw some of you pulling out your phones to take a picture of this. Think about this. What if you got up and you read your chapter a day and then you used this template right here and started walking through, okay? What's this saying doctrinal-wise? What's the theme of this talking about? Okay, is it pointing out something in me that's wrong? Is it showing me how to get it right? You see what I'm saying? So the reason that we're doing this series, number one, is because we need to know our Bibles. And the way that we know our Bibles is exactly what's being said right here. Secondly, we're doing this series because what the church was facing in Thessalonica, which is very hard to say, by the way, Thessalonica is exactly what we're facing today. This was a church who was excited about the things of God, who was excited about serving God, who was excited about seeing other people come to know God, and they were actually doing it in the midst of tremendous persecution. In other words, just because they were believers and just because they were Christians didn't mean everything was going great for them, but the joy of the Holy Spirit was actually inside of them, and they kept pressing forward with the gospel. So if we can understand how this church did it right here, then we can understand as believers and as children of God how we can actually do this thing, how we can actually persevere in the midst of standing up for what it is we believe. Because let's be straight, when we stand up for what this book says, especially in our town, and I love this town, I'm giving my life to this town, when we stand up for what this believes, you get called a religious nut or a bigot. Stand up against the taking of a life in this town and see what they call you. Stand up for things that the Bible calls right and see how they treat you. But here's the deal. Is God's word right? That was not overwhelming. Is it right? Is part of it right? No, no, no. All of it's right. Goes back to point number one, though. Do we really know our Bibles? Okay? 
So the reason that we're gonna, I gotta lay the platform this. The reason that we're gonna do this is because we need to number one, know God's word, but number two, understand that if we know God's word, when persecution comes, or when a person says, hey, I need to know about this, that you actually have something to say about it. That's how the gospel spreads. How do you think this town and this church of people, the the Thessalonians became the type of people that spread the word of God? They knew. So you've got to know it. Lastly, this series should matter to us because the early believers were able to influence people around them despite all of that going on. So we need to know God's word so that we can preach God's word. Am I making sense? So what are we talking about? Why should it matter to us? It should matter to us because we're trying to be people of influence, okay? Which gets me to our third question, okay? What is it that I need to know? What do we as believers need to know about these 10 verses that help us have influence in our world? You could see it up on the screen. Until that day, what day? When Jesus comes back. What am I supposed to do with my life until that day, until he comes back? This church teaches us all about it. Paul begins to give these observations of what this church really did that caused them to have tremendous influence in their day. We talked about this. We're in season three as a church. Influence in our world. You were not designed nor created to simply exist and take up space on planet earth. Every person in this room, no matter how you're wired, introverted, extroverted, whatever you want to call it, God has given you a place of influence in someone's life, and we're responsible for that, and we've got to do something with it. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this today? Because I want to see God move. And listen, if we just do church, it's going to get boring. We need to be active believers, not only in this place, fully involved, fully pressing in, fully getting something from God's word. But when you leave this place today and you go to wherever it is you live and do whatever it is that you do, I don't care if you're retired or you're working nine to five or you're working three jobs. God wants to use you in a way to see someone to come and to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And God's done his part by sending his son, but he says, you have a part. And that's be a believer. We say this to guys in sports, be about it. You need to be about this thing, not just passive about it. You need to be all in. Am I making sense? All right, so Paul, he has these observations about this group of people. We can call them the church of Thessalonia, the Thessalonians, and all that other good stuff. He made some observations. So let's walk through this so we know what we need to know, and then we'll end our time with what we actually need to do because we gotta do something with this. Number one, he observed that it was a community that was rooted in God's grace and peace. He notices it. Verse one, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, watch here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to notice the importance of understanding what word comes first and what word comes next. Notice he says grace first, Then he says peace. For us as believers, this is how it works. There is no peace in your life without the grace of God. What is the grace of God? We were sinners. God sent the solution. We could receive him into our lives. He's with us today. He's for us today. And because of that, no matter what happens, you can have peace. 
The problem is, is people in our world are looking for peace, but they're not going back to the solution of peace, and that's the grace of God. So Paul says, it's the grace. Listen, there is no way that you or I can experience God's peace without first experiencing God's grace. Listen, God's grace is that we were sinners with no hope. Look at your neighbor and say, no hope. Say, you had no hope. You had no hope. You were a sinner. So God sent Jesus as the sacrifice for that. And because of that, we've got peace. That's why we say this. You could take everything from us, but if we got Jesus, everything's all right. I love my wife, especially today, because she's in a Raiders jersey. And so is my 17-month-old. And so is my son in the back. And so will I after service when we go to Dream Team lunch. I love my wife, but she doesn't replace Jesus. I love my kids, but they don't replace Jesus. I love you, but you don't replace Jesus. Listen, you can take it all. I don't want it to happen, but if all of it went away and I had Jesus, then I've got peace. I've got purpose. I've got destiny. Am I making sense? Number two, it was a community that was committed to Jesus. Notice the words in verse three. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Secondly, your labor of love. And thirdly, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a group that was committed to Jesus. Verse six, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, committed to Jesus. Verse 10, and to wait for his son. Who's that referring to? I'm gonna slow down. Who's his son? Jesus. Fully committed. Everything's about Jesus. Jesus at the center of absolutely everything. We all know the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation upon which our lives and our church is built. It all comes back to Jesus. When you don't have the answer, the answer is, I'll give you one more try. If you don't have the answer, the answer is, listen, I'm gonna get you guys interactive at some point. I'm gonna keep going for it. Sometimes we gotta vocalize these things. Is it about Jesus? Is my life fully, fully committed to the Lord and his ways. Will I always get it right? Uh-uh. Why? Because of people? Because of me? I won't always get it right, but if I have Jesus, I got somewhere to go. So we know that Jesus is the focus of our faith. Jesus' life is the model by which we live. This church did that. They were all about Jesus. This community of believers were dedicated to Jesus and we're all in on spreading that truth. See, some of us think we have to have these really great answers for people who ask us about our faith. And I think the conversation will go for it. But if the only thing you said was, it's just Jesus, that's all you need to say. Because that's all it comes down to. Is he Lord or is he not? Number three, it was a community that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice the words in verse five. For our gospel, our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, there's a lot to unpack right there. But Paul and Silas, by the way, says Silvanus. That's actually Silas. Paul and Silas in the prison. You guys know that story? 
So these are the three contributors to this book right here. Any commentary you read, they'll talk about how these three guys are a part of this making of this book. So here they are. They're with these people, and they say, you guys, you guys knew us. We were among you. We were with you. But Paul is writing this letter because he is no longer with them. But he spent some time with them, and they, they got it. So when we look at this book and the example that the community believers said, listen, it was due to the evident power of the Holy Spirit in the preaching and the lives of those in these Thessalonians. They become so convinced that Jesus is the Lord, the revelation that comes from only one person, the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit is the only person that leads a person to repentance. So this church was big on that, okay? Number four, it was a community that bore witness to the gospel. Another observation Paul makes is like, man, these guys were all about the gospel. Today at Team Lunch, that's our number one core value as a church. It's all about the gospel. But before I read first verse eight, let's just remind ourselves of what the gospel is. You ready? We were sinners, amen? We were sinners, Jesus came, Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, it's not over yet, he ascends back up into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is praying for you and I even in this moment. That's the full gospel, okay? Lastly, guess what he's doing? He's coming back. We gotta get to a series on Revelation, who knows, that might be the next place the Lord leads us, we'll see what happens. He's coming back. So listen, whether I breathe my last breath here and go to meet him, or why stay here and he come? He's coming back. That's the full story. So now look at verse eight. For from you, the word of the Lord sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but watch here, but also in every place. Your faith toward, this is amazing. Your faith toward God has gone out. It didn't just stay here. It didn't just stay in a church building. It didn't just stay in my heart. What Jesus did in my life was so powerful and so good that these people did everything. That they bore witness to the gospel and they preached the gospel so much so that, watch here, I get really excited about this part, so that we do not need to say anything. Pause. Can you imagine being a missionary like Paul is? Because it says the, the gospel went out everywhere. You know what your job is as a missionary? It's to preach the gospel. Can you imagine Paul getting on a boat or going for a walk and getting to a city and seeing a group of people who were so in love with Jesus, so excited about Jesus, doing things for Jesus, that Paul goes, why in the world am I even here? They already got it. That's what that's saying. So let's pause for a moment. I'll do this again. I did it last week. Doing it again. Sit in the moment. This, there is no way, no way that the Thessalonian church was quiet. By the way, I'm not picking on you for being quiet. Some of you are very reflective. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So, but if you don't smile like every five minutes, it makes me wonder what's going on, okay? So if anything, just put a timer on your phone and smile, okay? So could you imagine a group of people that were so, so intertwined with getting the message of Jesus out that they actually did it and cities and homes begin to continually change. Can you imagine? 
Imagine this for a moment. Imagine for a moment, and trust me, packed buildings is not the goal. But could you imagine that if from town to town to town, these people were going out, they're going out, they're going out, and then they say, hey, we're going to just get everyone together who believes in the gospel because these guys preach it, and we're going to get together for a worship service. You know what would happen? There'd be people out in the parking lot because they didn't have enough room on the inside. Imagine this revival breaking out from the church of Thessalonia because they bore witness to the gospel and they did everything they possibly could to just get one more person to get them into the place, to get them into the building, to get them into a conversation so they could share the good news of something that radically changed their lives. Can you imagine? Listen, if you are gonna be about anything in this world, it will not be your nine to five. And the rest of you who get up early, if it's not nine to five. If that's all your life is about, it's not enough. If all your life is about, this is the season I feel I'm in right now, I feel like I'm just a big taxi. I mean, we don't say taxi, but I feel like I'm just an Uber driver. I'm driving my kids all across the central coast. That's all I do now, every single day. Golf here, football there, band practice there. 17-month-old doesn't like being in the car. She's crying there. I mean, if life was just about doing those things and all those things are great and I'm for them because I want to be a great husband and a great dad, I'm all, but if that's all life is about, at some point, my life here is done. Is my number one goal to get my children to heaven? Better believe it. And my wife, more times she's getting me to heaven than I'm getting her to heaven, okay? Love you, babe. She's probably in the other room watching. Got to get some change in my pocket on that one. Listen to me. If that's all this thing is about, we're just another club. We're just another gathering. Listen, I don't mean to be extreme, but I'm going to say it. I do not want to stand in line at the pearly gates of heaven and look behind me and see all the people that lived in the city that I lived in, and I'll just get personal, that go to the gym that I coach at, that come to the church that I preach at, and them say to me, you mean to tell me you had the one and only answer for my eternity? You had that answer, and you didn't say a thing? I want that. And the only way I change that is by being about it. That's what these guys were. They were so in love with God, so in love with his church, so in love with each other, that they were all in on the gospel. What would be said about you? What would be said about me? It's a pretty hard message, huh? I love you, friends. I want to challenge you. Doesn't mean you have to be like me. Doesn't mean you have to be like anybody else. How has God wired you? so that you can bear witness to the gospel in whatever setting it is. I look at Perry on the back row. Many of you guys know Perry. I love Perry, except for his love for the Packers and how he's got his whole family liking the Packers. Oh, that is a great guy. This guy, in the corrections and all that stuff, and I, I'll get the words wrong on this one, but has an amazing place of influence in the lives of people that go through some of the toughest times in their lives. gets the opportunity to be around them. What if that was God's plan all along? 
And wherever Perry goes, that love that he has for people, the gentle spirit that he, that he has, that's why we call him Papa Perry, Pear Bear, that he has is exactly how God wired him to spread the gospel where he is. What if Matt, fighting fires and helping people, was the way that God wired your life specifically so that if the door was to open up to a conversation, you could bear witness to the gospel? What about the teachers in the room who get a, 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 a responsibility but an opportunity every day to be full of joy, love, and dedication to their students, that they pray over them, that they think about them, that parents then reach out to them and an opportunity is given? What, what would it look like if we bore witness to the gospel in whatever setting that we were in? And what if right where you are is exactly where God actually wants you to be? What if, Tony, you're giving that golf lesson to that young person? And yeah, they're having a tough day on the course, but there's something deeper going on, and the Holy Spirit quickens your spirit, and a word of knowledge comes out to that student. And you bear witness to the, do you see what I'm saying? That's what these guys did. I'm spending a lot of time right here. We're gonna, I'm going to do my best, but listen to it. That's what they did. They bore witness to it. So much so that when the men of God got to the city that they were going, they didn't have to say anything. What a group of people. What an example. Not only set by word, but by action. Furthermore, if you think about it, they had something to say, didn't they? Because it says down there that they turned from their idols. And they served the one true God. They had an opportunity to be like everyone else. But they put God first. Just like we have an opportunity to be about a lot of things. But we turn from those things and we focus on what really matters. People, eternity, salvation, discipleship. Those things matter more than anything else. Fifthly, it was a community characterized by faith, love, and hope. Man, I love this. When we look through verses 2 through 10, we see the themes of, of hope and of faith, but also love. They were characterized by these traits. It's an amazing read. Next week, we'll, we'll talk about chapter 2, and we'll see how Paul ministered to this church. He actually ministered to this church completely different than any other way that he ministered to another church. But they were characterized by it. And then sixth, it was a community that was clearly different from the other religions. The time upon which this was written and where they were, the magicians and the other relations that were not about the one true God were so rampant and so wild that these guys were literally set apart different from anyone else. And Paul goes, I can see it. Listen, let me just tell you my, my, my take in, in just a, a very quick sentence, a very quick way on other religions. Here's what it comes down to. Everyone look at me real quick. It comes down to Jesus and your confession of what he did for you on the cross. That's it. That's the separation. There are religions that believe you have to work your way to heaven. God says, don't work your way to heaven. 
I'll bring heaven to you. Jesus comes down. And I understand that's a conversation for a whole nother day, and I understand that could open up a great dialogue. But hear me, it's all about Jesus as Omar comes. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And this group of people right here were so marked by Jesus, they were completely different from everyone else. Look at verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. The reason that this is so important, friends, is because Thessalonica offered something for nearly everyone, but they had a different one. Okay, so let me just pause and put a stop in the service, okay? What are we talking about? Talking about 1 Thessalonians. Why should it matter to us? Because the Thessalonians show us how to serve God even in very, very difficult and hard times. What do I need to know about it? Six observations that Paul had. Now here's where we get to each other and here's where we get to the meat of the message and I'm gonna go through it quickly because it's very straightforward and it's very simple. Who likes simple in here? Raise your hand if you like simple. Okay, good, because I'm a simple-minded guy and I think every time we read the Bible, there's always something we need to do. James chapter one, verse 22 through 23. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Okay, so if what we need to know are these six observations that Paul has. And I hope you, listen, I pray you're a note taker. I pray you're screenshotting the notes on new version. A great way to study your Bible is to take the message from Sunday and on Monday, go back through your notes again. Read it over again. That's how you take the message and you go on. And trust me, I spend a lot of time on these messages and that would do my heart proud. But hear me, what do we need to actually do about this? Because if Paul is pointing out these observations that he has, in this church, and the Bible still speaks today, doesn't it? Does the Bible still speak today? Then if we read this chapter, what do we do with it? It's a great question. First and foremost, write this down, or you can type it in the chat if you're watching online. We must root ourselves in grace and love towards others. That's what he saw in them, so guess what? That's what we're about. We're rooted in grace and we're rooted in love. Now you're probably saying, wait a minute, why aren't we rooted in peace? Because we are not the author of peace. We are not the giver of peace. He is the giver of peace. So as believers, we've gotta walk in grace and we've gotta uh, walk in love. Everyone say grace. grace. Listen, if you come across a sinner, they don't need your judgment, they need your grace. They don't need your hate, they don't need your religiosity. They don't need your pointing eyes. They don't need your smart remarks. They're sinners. Like, can I say something? Why are we so surprised when sinners sin? And why are we so thrown off? Oh, they need to get their act together. Have you forgotten what your life was like before the Holy Spirit got a hold of you? Grace and love. That's the mark. You know that person who drives you crazy at work? Tomorrow, I hope you hear these words. Grace, love. That person, Max, who always writes your name dog wrong at Starbucks on your drink, his name is Max with an X, not with the T. They need grace and love. Now that you didn't, just throwing it out there. Saw it on uh, social media. Thought it was cool. Told you guys, squirrel moments. Hello. They need grace and love. That family member. Uh-oh. Grace and love. Doesn't mean you can't tell the truth. Just tell it with some candor. Try that. But they need grace and love. 
That's what this world needs. It doesn't mean we bow down to it. No, no. It just means we're, we're full of grace. That's what Jesus did. Secondly, we must fully commit to Jesus. If that's what Paul saw in them, that's what we need to do. Fully committed. Asking ourselves the questions. Have we counted the cost of following Jesus and decided that it's actually worth it? Have we counted the cost of carrying our cross every day? If we have, then we do it. Have we subjected every part of our lives to his word and to his ways? You heard me say it earlier. Does Jesus have a place in your life, in your thought life, in your relationships, in your job, in your finances, in your purpose? Does Jesus have the say in that? We all got to answer it. Thirdly, thirdly, we must rely on the Holy Spirit for everything. Oh, this is good. This is good. I've got one minute and 20, 30 seconds, okay? I'll go a little bit over. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Rely on the Holy Spirit for everything. I want you to track with me. I'm going to read it word for word so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm going to say this. And I'm going to meet it in love. And for some of us that have been raised in church for long, I've been raised in church my whole life. I'm 40 years old. If I was born on Saturday, I guarantee you I was in church on that Sunday. Been in church my whole life. But hear me. When I say we must rely on the Holy Spirit for everything, this is what I want you to do. I want you to track with me, okay? Are the power and the gifts of the Spirit evident in our preaching, in our evangelism, and in our ministering? Is the Holy Spirit evident? Are the joy and the other fruits of the Spirit apparent in our fellowship? Do we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are those nine things evident in your life? Not perfect. Are they evident? Is it evident in this body? For those of us here, for those of us online, for those of us on vacation. Are the fruits of the Spirit working in this body? In other words, do you love each other? Are you patient with each other? Are you forgiving with each other? That's what marks a great church. That's what makes us a great place. The fruit of the Spirit. Are we open? Uh-oh. Are we open to the leading of the Spirit? So for example, today, when I interrupted the service, the worship service, Max, you did such a great job because I felt the Holy Spirit leading us to lean into this idea of loneliness, depression, and anxiety. Were you open to it? Or was it, man, here we go. That's going to add another 10 minutes on the service. Come on, Pastor Rich. It's football season. Got to get out of here. Last week, I'm saying, I think God's doing something. He's doing something in me, and I think he's doing something in our church. Last week, we opened up these altars, which, by the way, these altars are open every single week. We are a church of the altar. I don't think I've made that apparent enough, so I'm just going to say it right now. We are a church of the altar. You don't need to wait for me to say, hey, you can come to these altars and pray. If it's a worship service and these guys are turning it loose and they're reaching into God and you want to find a spot to pray, by all means, go do it. And if you're a distraction, I'll deal with you kindly. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor Rich, don't do that. It could get crazy. No, it won't. Trust me. But why do you need to wait on me to say, hey, lean in. You, you lean into the Holy Spirit. It's not just on me. Listen, are we open to a movement? If God, if the Holy Spirit said, hey, do this, do we have a heart that says, all in? Yep, we'll do it. Watch me. It is important to know 
that the answer to this question is not as simple. Now, I told you, some of you might be offended. Just hear my heart. Don't judge me. It's not as simple as charismatic versus non-charismatic. As if the exercise of a few particular spiritual gifts or their corresponding absence can indicate whether we are open to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you think because we're a quiet church that the Spirit doesn't move. And I love you enough to tell you, you were wrong. Because that's not the only evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in a church service. The only evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in a church is not because everyone's lifting their hands and being fully Pentecostal. I'm Pentecostal. I don't dance very good. I sway. Because you don't want to see me dance. I'm Pentecostal. I lift my hands. Because I'm thankful of what God has done. Because I want to praise him. Because the Bible says to lift holy hands without wrath. Meaning, God, thank you. I'm Pentecostal. But I would like to say, I don't think I'm weird. Uh-oh. We don't like that. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Now, now See, because when you hear charismatic or Pentecostal, some of us have had some crazy experiences. Or we're really good at watching YouTube. Got people running up and down aisles, jumping into baptisms and just going crazy. That Pentecostal stuff is weird. So what happens is, is in a setting like this, if no one's singing out loud or doing this, well, man, the Holy Spirit don't move in that church. You better watch your words, friend. It's not the only thing. It is just as possible for a church that exalts speaking in tongues and prophecy to miss the leading of the Spirit as it is for the church that thinks that all signs, gifts, and miracles ceased at the first century. Listen, a more reliable indicator is the presence of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the indicator of the Holy Spirit having reigned in your life and in my life and in this church's life. I tell you right now, people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior in this church when you display the work of the Holy Spirit in your life out there. People say, the church isn't growing, pastor. You know what my question is? Who are you inviting? Because some of you, respectfully, you don't. Uh Uh-oh. And you want to know why some of you don't? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't working in your life and you don't want to be a hypocrite. It's tough words. I'm not mad for the record, just throwing this out there. Let me just spit some truth. I don't know why we say spit truthy. That's pretty gross. Let me just speak some truth your way. Because if I invite someone to church, I actually have to be about this thing. Because people will see right through me. Now, friends, some of you, I've already seen this happen right here. Don't do that. Don't do that. God is not a God of condemnation. He does not beat you up over your sin. If you've been raised that way, 
I'm sorry, they were wrong, and I'm a pastor, and I'll be accountable to this according to the book of James. Listen to me. If anybody has ever preached a word to you that God makes you feel bad about your mistakes and about your failures, they are wrong, and God will judge them for that teaching because that's what the word of God says. I'm here to tell you that God has grace, and God has truth. Jesus had grace, but Jesus had truth. Hey, you've done this, but do it no longer. Go tell somebody. That's what Jesus did. So don't beat yourself up over this thing. But I, I've, I've had conversations in this church with people. We must be doing something wrong. Pastor, the church ain't growing. Listen, if that is your only, only indicator of success, you will be let down and disappointed. Because I'll prove it to you. All it took was a pandemic for people to walk away from their faith. You have to be rooted and grounded in God. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't in my notes, so I'll just take it as a leading of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, friends. The Holy Spirit moving in your life and in this church always goes back to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Gentleness. That's it. Some of you like, you got that wrong, Pastor. Sorry, I've said it like five times today. By the way, I learned that with the kids' church song. Just saying. I'm taking a little bit longer than I had planned, but I really feel we need to understand this. This church in Thessalonia had a move of God because they relied on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, friends, we're going to rely on the Holy Spirit in this church. Because if that's how the Thessalonians did it, and they bore witness to the gospel, and they become the place that they are, that's the place I want to be. Number four, we must be defined by faith, hope, and love. But make no mistake about it, the words of Jesus, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's a pretty heavy truth. Are you a disciple of, of God? Yes. I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like you love people all too much. Ah, it's defined by love. And lastly, number five, is we must stand out from others. You gotta stand out. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.